Welcome back to another episode of the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic and host of this podcast. We're recording today, uh, January 13th, Wednesday, around 4.45 p.m. And uh, I got a room full of guests here on Zoom with me. Uh, my producer, Mike Zimmerman, of course. Uh, Kelvin Harris, three-time national uh, champion, uh, who's been on here plenty of times. And, and Carlos Ledo, who was my uh, co-host, at Onside Radio for uh, many times when I was hosting uh, the Miami Insider Show. And so, gentlemen, uh, it's, it's been a busy week, man. There's been so much going on, and yet we're still waiting here uh, to figure out what's going to happen with the rest of Miami's defensive coaching staff. I've been trying to hold off as much as possible on recording this podcast because I wanted to see who Manny was going to hire as defensive line coach, what he was going to do with the other position coach, and the clock just keeps ticking away here and, and everybody's growing impatient. Are they going to get rid of Blake Baker? Everybody's, you know, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're following Kane's football on Twitter and on message boards right now, your head is spinning because there's just so much uh, conversation about what's going to happen. So many rumors, so many things out there. But I thank you for coming on uh, to, to join me today and talk about uh, everything that's been happening. Yeah, no problem. Hey, yeah, man, I'm happy to be here as the, uh, the third wheel and the guy that nobody knows. So to me, I'm, I'm like that. I'm like Sesame Street. One of these things doesn't belong with the other. I'm just happy to be around. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you guys coming on. And, um, you know, I got some mailbag questions I want to get to, but a couple things to get to quickly here. Number one, John Ford, defensive tackle, just announced on social media about half an hour ago that he's going to be coming back this fall. Kelvin, you told me that earlier this week. I started asking you, so do we know which seniors are coming back once we heard that Mike Harley announced he was coming back? Um, who else do you know for sure has, has told uh, the coaching staff that they're coming back, Kelvin? Um, I'm not sure about Carter. and um, Amari Carter, pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure, uh, even though he's not a senior, I'm pretty sure Nesta's coming back. Okay. Yeah, it, it feels like, you know, I, I've been checking the transfer portal every single day. We've got reporters here at The Athletic who have access to the transfer portal. So I'm always, you know, every day I start by messaging them saying, can you check the transfer portal for me? Let me know if there's any new hurricanes in there. And it, it just feels like, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. There's going to be somebody who jumps in there at some point. But for right now, uh, maybe so far, six or maybe eight. Yeah, may, maybe your two favorite receivers, six and eight, Mark Pope and D. Wickens. Uh, but that, nothing on that front has happened yet. Um, Ford did announce he's coming back. And, and of course, the Hurricanes have picked up a couple of transfers, and it looks like they're going to get a third one here. Uh, they got DeAndre Johnson out of uh, Tennessee, the pass rusher, uh, last week. Then uh, yesterday they picked up Charleston Rambo, the wide receiver out of Oklahoma, We'll talk about him in a second. And then the big rumor is that they're going to get Tyreek Stevenson uh, out of Georgia, who a kid who they really, really wanted badly in the 2019 signing class. And I'm curious, Carlos, to get your opinion, um, because it feels like, you know, Manny Diaz, the, the, he's the king of the offseason, right? He, he always <laughs> he nails guys in the transfer portal. Rambo's a former four-star kid. DeAndre Johnson, you know, four and a half sacks last year for Tennessee. He's tied for their team lead in sacks. 
And then Stevenson's a guy who's supposed to be a, uh, a starter at Georgia this coming season. Um, as, as Manny Diaz won Carlos Ledo, the Miami Hurricanes fan, over again with what he's done with the transfer portal. It's man, it's like a bad relationship, you know, like you, you're constantly breaking up with a person. You look at him, you're like, man, I, I miss her. She looks great. Why can't I be with her? Then you get with her and it's like, it's just terrible. Um, she's constantly cheating on you. You find uh, guys, guys clothes in your room. Then you leave her and you come back and you see her at the club the next day. And it's like, my God, what do I do? I'm stupid. That's what Manny Diaz is doing to me. He's, he, he dangles these transfers in my face, tells me it's going to be all good. Don't worry, baby. I changed. I changed. I'll get it right. I'll get it right, and he inevitably does not. But I fall for it, and um, I'm on board again. I'm with him. We're going to win a national championship. That's it. I'm in. <laughs> uh, Mike Zimmerman, I'm curious to get your feelings because you and I were talking off air before we started recording the show, and 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 that's kind of been your concern, right? Is well, what has he really done with the transfer portal? He gets all this credit. What what are your thoughts on these uh, supposed transfer portal pickups? I, I'm not giving credit until we actually see these players produce on the field right like and anybody can be applauded for getting these guys to come sure but either a if they're not the right players or 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 productive then it should be held against them and b if you don't bring them in and develop them then that's on the coaching staff as well so until we see these these guys come in and, and produce. We keep patting himself on. We keep patting him on the back during the offseason for bringing in the, these transfers. It's been three straight off seasons of it. Started with Tate Martell, and now we're now we're uh, up to another five star in, in in Tyreek Stevenson. I would say there's a reason they're leaving their respective schools. They're either not good enough to start, or there's something else going on, right? And I, I think Canes fans need to to remember and realize that. These, these guys aren't, you know, yes, they're coming from big time programs, right? Georgia, Oklahoma, you know, you're Bubba Bolden from USC. It's nice hearing you're getting players from these programs, but at the end of the day, they, they weren't good enough to stay at those programs. And that worries me a little. And it worries me that Manny is focusing a lot on the transfer portal every single off season to cover up holes on this roster. It's, it's not the proper way to build it. I, I I was fine with it the first two off seasons because it takes some time bringing in your, your recruiting classes. But at this point, there are just still so many holes. And I, I'm wondering at what point that we're going to say, all right, let's stop living in the transfer portal and start recruiting better. Right. And, and I think I kind of want to get everybody's thoughts on that. Is this kind of the last off season where Manny needs to stop building the team in the transfer portal and maybe just use it as a, a one or two, you know, nice fill in here and there, but the bulk of the team is from recruiting. I think you need to stack good recruiting classes on good recruiting classes first, before you could start relying on those guys in house. I think what he's doing is exactly what you're saying. He's finding stop gaps in the transfer portal while he builds those recruiting classes. Now, what he's trying to do is, pick up enough wins and pick up enough interest in the program in the meantime with those transfers to be able to get guys to say, Hey, you know, these guys aren't doormats anymore. They're not mediocre. They're actually on the rise. I should go there. And I think aside, you know, for every Tate Martell and, and for every uh, Tommy Kennedy, there's, there's, you know, a Justin Phillips, there's a Quincy Roche, uh, even Chagosi who played well at defensive tackle. There's guys that, and this started even with Adrian Colbert when he transferred over um, and played really well in the secondary. There are guys that fill gaps at the moment that not only provide, like a K.J. Osborne, a steadying force, but add maturity possibly in a room 
to help guys learn how to play the game moving forward. And, I mean, it's not always guys that are getting kicked out of schools or guys that aren't performing. It's guys that are looking for an opportunity to shine on a bigger stage. And I, I think what you're seeing now is, and also guys wanted to come home in the case of possibly Tyreek Stevenson and, and uh, DeAndre Johnson. So what you're looking at is they're looking at opportunities for them to bounce into the league on a high note and get more opportunities. And that's one of the reasons I think they're having guys come back like Mike Harley. They're essentially coming in on a contract year and they want to show out in that last year. I, I guess my thing is I, I don't want them to be so reliant on the transfer portal, right? It, it, you shouldn't be relying on the transfer portal to either A, uh, stabilize the program or, or B, you know, win enough to, to attract these guys. I, I, I think being come, become too reliant on that hurts the program. And it's been three recruiting classes, right? I, I, I think we kind of hope that by this time, those stacking of recruiting classes will kind of, you know, show some results. And, and at this point, if, if, if the, he's still using the transfer portal for that, it, it, I have my doubts. Now I'm not, I'm not saying that Manny Diaz should not try and find as much talent in the transfer portal as possible. It just seems that we're falling into the same thing every off season where big time, you know, players from big time programs come to Miami via the transfer portal. And it's almost like they're here for one year and then they're gone where there's no stability after that. I, I mean, I go ahead. I feel like I just listened to a Geico commercial where that guy says, uh, you know, the guy that says he transitions you from being your parents after you become a homeowner. <laughs> that's who Mike. Just, <laughs> yeah. That's a dad coach. Yeah. That's who <laughs> Mike just sounded like. He sounded like somebody who grew up watching my two sons, my three sons. And I love Lucy. And uh, the Andy Griffith show. I mean, you're—it's passed you by, buddy. Are you? How old are you? Like sixty? I mean, come on. Well, it, it, ex- explain Please. explain what that means, Calvin. Because I I think are you saying the this game, is the, this, the this game is the has new changed. Okay, but here's the thing, Calvin. Here's my point. Look at all the great programs in the country. They don't re- they don't they don't rely on these transfers. They they the don't. Starting they, center they barely for the even. University of Alabama was from Florida State. Okay, who else? The starting quarterback from the university, from Ohio State University, was from Georgia. Wait a minute. Let me go. Oh, the last three quarterbacks before this one at Oklahoma were from other schools. The only school in America right now. Those are those are one the position, only Calvin. school in America right now that doesn't go after transfers is Clemson. But Calvin, you're, you're you're pointing to one player on each program. Miami's constantly trying to get as many as they can to fill in. It, like no, I said, it's fine to sprinkle in, but but no, it, it's but, it's become but, but a thing the, where it's three straight missing. off seasons. That's the point you're missing. The the transfer portal is now a part of recruiting. Like what you're talking about doesn't exist anymore, and you're going to see more and more schools. Do it. I have this conversation. I got a good friend of mine. Uh, we grew up together. He was the nose guard against me in White Right One. He coaches at Lehigh over here. Matter of fact, he has the number one running back in 2023 class in the country, a kid named Richard Young. And his son just signed with Wisconsin. As a matter of fact, Jake will be going, rolling this week. And me and Cheney always talk about it. It's like the high school kids 
in this class, in this 21 class, and from the 21 class on, need to make an adjustment on how they recruit it because the transfer portal is not going anywhere. As a matter of fact, if you talk to coaches now, the transfer portal is a part of recruiting. And let's just be keeping it real. We do it better than anybody else in the country. I mean, we, let, let me let me say this. We have, you know, everyone says we're not relevant. The, the turnover chain, everybody bit that. Right now, with our success, schools are trying to do what we're doing. Now, you're correct in that Manny at some point doesn't want to take as many transfers. But the problem is, because we had so many guys leave early when they shouldn't have left early, and we never really had a full roster because of the probation they put us on, we've been behind the eight ball in the numbers, and we still haven't caught up. USC is in the same predicament. And, you know, unlike USC, we've been blessed enough to where our offensive and defensive lines haven't been. We haven't had major injuries, and we've been able to recruit. Well, case in point, the offensive line is a great situation. Jared Williams was a prime example of what the transfer portal can do for you. Jared, we needed a right tackle. By putting Jared, by getting Jared Williams to come for one year, that allowed us to stockpile guys. And now we didn't have to play uh, 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 Big Boy. Uh, what was it? Uh, Manny, what's the big kid's name? Uh, Jalen Rivers. Isaiah Walker or Jalen Rivers? Jalen Rivers. So we were able to let Jalen Rivers develop. And now, oh, by the way, I don't think Jared's coming back. I mean, when I talked to him, it sounded like he was trying to get an evaluation on his hand. And if his hand is good enough, I think he's he's um, he's yeah. going to leave. Yeah, I, I well, didn't want to try. That's what I didn't uh, want. That's what his Go coach ahead. was saying. Coach Justice was saying that during the season, by the way, that this was kind of like a one a one year deal. But go ahead. I didn't want to like, you know, I don't I, I, I didn't want to like. Talk him in the stand, but I really think he should stay. Because if he stays with – he played a majority of the season, the second half of the season, with one hand. Uh, I believe it was his right hand that was the problem. And if he comes back for another year, he's going to greatly help himself. But if the kid is ready to go, hey, I, I like I told him the last time I talked to him, I was like, I appreciate what you did for us. And, you know, either way, good luck. But if he does decide to leave, Jalen Rivers is ready to go now. You know what I'm saying? We right. didn't have to. We didn't have to do what we did with Zion. He got to develop, and that's how it used to be. You used to redshirt all your freshmen, but because somehow the clock got sped up, everybody's trying to get to the pros. You know, and you know, you talk about you know these guys that we got. Let's just let's go down the list. I want to personally get a a GoFundMe page to send Chip Kelly the money for being a dumbass for not trying to keep uh, Jalen Phillips. <laughs> I really hope we can find some more dumbasses out there to just let players go. Um, Bubba Boulder was a unique situation. USC was having some problems. And, and here's the weird part about it. Because our program is in a good place, the kids recruited Jalen Phillips and Bubba Boulder. 
not the program, the kids. The kids are telling other kids to bring your ass here. We got something special. We're in a good place. I think, um, you know, yeah, and everybody. I think, and to your point, Kelvin, I think you see now Jalen, you, you see Jalen Phillips scheduled to be a first round pick, maybe a top 10 pick. And guys say, well, if I can come there and do the same thing, if they're developing this guy and turning him from being out of football into a first round pick, then that's a place for me. Exactly. And, um, you know, because the defensive end position is a, is a prime uh, example. We keep having guys leave. Or think about this. This time last year, we had uh, Trevon Hill, Gregory Rousseau, Scott Patton, uh, Jonathan Garvin. Those mm-hmm. were our four ends. How many of them showed up last this past year? None of them. Mm-hmm. We needed Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips because, well, I can't get mad at Scott because he saw the handwriting on the wall because he thought, who knew that we was, you know, if there's no pandemic, Gregory Russo uh, obviously doesn't opt out. And I got to be honest with you, when we were going into the season before this, uh, before he opted out, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm glad we got Russo because that's going to keep this Phillips kid here another year. And then in 21, man, we're going to have, you know, that'll give, because my, 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 my whole thought process was Jafari Harvey should not be playing yet. And if he does have to play, I'm not saying it's going to be horrible, but that just shows you we aren't at the level to compete. But now I think he's ready to be a star. And I think the, 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 the playing time that Cam Williams got helped him. Um, now, we can't, you're right, we can't keep doing this. But I think this was what I call the bridge year. This was the year that helped us catch up. And, and, and because any team that's going to win a championship is not going to have six or seven freshman plans. Let's look at Alabama. Malachi Moore. Uh, and Will Anderson. Those are the two main guys. Two, they were the only two freshmen that played. And then Brian Branch played towards the end of the year. He was the dime back. Uh, I don't know who any of their freshman receivers are because none of them played. They got a kid by the name of Jason McClellan at running back. Y- y- y'all don't know who he is because he's pretty damn good, but he didn't play because he couldn't. If you uh, look at Clemson, if you look at Clemson, Ohio State, Ohio State didn't play any freshman. You know what I'm saying? Notre Dame, no freshman. If you're playing four, five, six freshmen, I don't give a damn how many. If they got twelve stars, if you're playing six or seven freshmen, you suck. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? then we have the podcast for you. Introducing The Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. 
If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Now, Kelvin, listen, th- this was a great discussion. Uh, and, and thank you, both of you guys, uh, and all three of you, actually, on making some great points, I think, both ways. I'm going to just throw some information out there. Uh, I, having access to the transfer portal, I got the complete report since when the transfer portal opened in, in 2018. There's been 26 scholarship players from the University of Miami who have entered the transfer portal. That's why you need the transfer portal so that you can recoup some of those guys back. Guys that we had 26 guys, 26 guys. I, I'll give you the list. You ready? I got well, let's go down the list. Nicole, and, and, and before, before you give us the list, and then add in the early the guys that leave early, also, right? Well, 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 before you do that, don't put in this year because you know, I'm it go back over the years and okay. of the ones you're naming, how many of them left our program and went to a better program. Not many, not none at all, really. Uh, here's the list. Here's the list of the 26 up until you know the most recent entry. All right, Nikosi Perry, Patrick Joyner, Christian Williams, Michael Irvin, uh, Scott Patchen, Jaron Williams, Brian Palendi, Bubba Baxa, Tyreek Martin, Lorenzo Lingard, Realist George, Evidence and Joku, Brian Hightower, Cleveland Reed, who by the way did come back, Nigel yeah, Bethel. Yeah, Nigel Bethel, Derek Smith Jr., George Brown. Asa Martin, Casey Weldon, uh, Marquez Ezard, um, Zach Fiegels, Hayden Mahoney, Lawrence Cager, Jeff Thomas, who did come back, and then Marshall Few and Charles Perry. So, you know, that's since October. Oh, did you say Marshall Few? Marshall Few, yeah. He actually <laughs> entered the transfer portal. Most people don't he know that. He entered the portal? <laughs> he did, and he came back. So wow. uh, of those 26, three of them came back. But still, those are 26 guys that were scholarship players at the University of Miami since 2018. Since October 15, 2018, those guys I have the dates when they went in and everything. And the point is, I think the transfer portal is just here to stay, Mike. And I think to your point, though, you can't rely on it in the sense of you're going to sign eight to nine transfer portal guys every time, which is what they did. You know, in, in in nineteen, when when they had a lot of holes to fill when Manny Diaz first took over, but yeah. right now it's three, and the and the three guys essentially Tyreek Stevenson, DeAndre Johnson, and um, Charleston Ramble, Ramble, they're all, all plug and play in the SEC and the Big Twelve. Right, they're all plug and play guys. So I think as Manny can, as long as he continues to limit and just use it as plug and play, like filling a gap, then I think it can be a successful proposition. Now, what I will say is I think he's been pretty fortunate so far that a lot of the guys have worked out the way that they have. I know Bubba Bolden was kind of up and down this year, but he could be your best defensive player next year uh, coming back. Um, Obviously, you got Derek King, who's been the best quarterback here since Ken Dorsey, you could argue. Certainly had the best season since, since since around that time, the third best season in Miami history, Um, a single season. Um, you know, you, you get Jalen Phillips, uh, the guys, you know, the guys that you've mentioned that have come in and um, done well. He, and had, was, he had one dud, one dud. Well, two, right? I mean, the offensive tackle, the kid that they got, uh, the one that uh, Carlos Tommy McCall, Kennedy and uh, oh, Tommy yeah, Kennedy yeah. and Tate Martell, you would say. For and sure. then I guess you got to include George Brown. Right. And, and well, he's well, talking about Tate Martell off the field. He, he won. 
<laughs> oh man, but, but no, 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 he lost because she left. It. That's right. Um, well, Manny, here, here's my point though. Like you said, out of those guys, how many of them went through better programs? And the answer is none of them. Mm-hmm. That goes to my point. Only that- Lawrence Cager. Well, lingered, lingered. Well, well uh, an equivalent program. So my, my point is that most of them, if you want to take one or two out, didn't even belong here in the first place. Right. And that's and, and that's and, more and, to and your that point. goes back to the recruiting issues that it's mm-hmm. been the inability to stack recruiting classes. If you were able to do that in the first place, you would yeah, a, the, not the, have so many guys leave the transfer portal. But well, you, no, because you wouldn't have to go I, out and I'm, bring I'm, so many guys in. I'm, I'm going to say this, Manny, if you look up Alabama's recruiting classes. They may not have 26 in the transfer portal, but I'm pretty sure there's at least 15. And that's the part that goes back to the Geico commercial. Uh, uh, are you wearing Buster Browns right now, by the way? I'm just asking. <laughs> I mean, Kelvin, <laughs> Kelvin look, look, look at all the Alabama players, though. They've got a program, so you could say they can lose guys, but they're confident they're going to bring in five-star yeah, freshmen in those the, recruiting what, what, classes, and they're not going to miss them. That's well, the point. Well, well, Miami well, doesn't have the talent at, to allow all these guys to go because they're not going to be able to bring at, bring back all that talent well, in recruiting well, and the transfer portal. Hold on. First of all, let's not compare anybody in the country to Alabama. That's fine. Look at other well, programs. No, 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 no. I'm going to tell you why. Because I'm going to say the quiet part out loud. Nobody is allowed to pay players and do the things that Nick does. You know, look, uh, the guy's an excellent coach. Excellent coach. But he has five Mercedes-Benz dealerships, and he uses them all in the recruiting process. Georgia, who, by the way, is about to be a turnstile, uh, is probably number two on the payment list. And that's why you see them getting a lot of these guys, but you see them leaving as well. We're in a situation where we're really, I'm not going to say we're recruiting with our hands tied behind our back. But we're not playing on the same playing field in the recruiting game as Alabama. Matter of fact, really nobody is because some of the things that he's allowed to get away with, uh, not just with players, but with coaches, you know, and, and, and in a sense, he's like he's like the litmus test for the rest of college football coaches because if he gets away with it and they don't say anything, other people do the same thing. But Alabama has a foreman. They're going to go out and they're going to do whatever they can do to get as many five-star guys as they can get. They go into the process knowing that half of those guys are going to leave. They don't care because they're going to go back and they're going to try and get more five-stars the next year. It's, it's, it's a, it's a crapshoot. It's so, so then, so then take Alabama out, right? Okay. Notre um, Dame, Oregon, North Carolina. Oregon, who, you can't you can't use you can't use Notre Dame because Notre Dame is different from everybody else too. Now Oregon, how, how I'm, I, all these programs, Miami should be on their level in terms of recruiting, right? If you want to take out the, the SEC money, recruiting class. What are you talking about? And and we no, and and Kelvin, we haven't been able to develop that. That's my point. Well, part of the problem is here's the other problem when you have top ten, top fifteen recruiting classes. If you bring a guy in that's a four-star or a five-star and he doesn't play right away, he's going to leave. And it's not just us. We aren't the only school that has this problem. It's just, you know, you notice um, we Iowa. We get five-stars, so how can they leave if they don't even come? That's the point. Well, well we get four-stars, 
And now the way the way this thing is, three stars think they should play at schools and they leave. So, you know, when you talk to coaches, this is the most difficult time to be a coach right now because, you know, and I've had this conversation with Manny. You got some guys at Rivals 247 who probably never put on pads or are here telling us who is a great football player. And the the public has fallen for this bullshit. Yeah. So now it trickles, down. it trickles down to the kids come in thinking, well, I should be playing. I mean, look, I, I'm going to say this. I know one of the bag. I know one of the bag men at Alabama. Nick goes through the same problems that every other person goes through, but he has different resources. And the kids that stay, the one thing I will say is the kids that stay at Alabama, they see the big picture. Whatever it is, he he he's he's tough to deal with, but he's found a way to convince at least half of the recruiting classes that, hey, look, if you just stay for one year, you may not play for three, but if you stay and you get on the field, I'm going to get you to the league. And what's happened with the University of Miami is we're a prostitute program, right? And I say that, that the kids in South Florida look at us as they don't look at the program and say, I want to go be Ray Lewis. What they're saying is and what their families are saying is, I want to go to Miami get on the field just enough so I can go pro. I don't care if I go in the fifth round or if I'm a free agent. If I go to UM, I'm going to get the attention of the scouts, and I'm going to be able to go to the pro. And then on my second contract, that's where I'm going to make all this money up. And, it's you know, it's not just with our program. You know, Florida State's going through the same thing. A lot of these programs are going through it. Michigan, um, you know, and, and Alabama has that problem, too. But there's enough kids in the program that talk enough of the kids off the ledge that they're able to win. But it, it, the game has changed. You know, this, this is not the three, four network television era. This is the 170 network uh, television era. And you see it with these kids. They got ADD and they're spoiled. And if they don't play right away, it's your fault. It ain't their fault. It's your fault. So then recruit but, recruit better kids, though, then. Because you see all these other South Florida kids go elsewhere and have success, but the ones that come to Miami always have this sort of attitude where they're coming with, you know, thinking they're bigger than everybody else. Where these other South Florida kids go elsewhere and have success. The entire starting secondary at Alabama was from South Florida. If I, if I could get in a word Mike. real quick, guys. Um, just go ahead. On all of that real quick. Um, number one. Mike, in, in response to, you know, Alabama secondary and, and what Kelvin said earlier about players being overrated, I think there's such a focus in South Florida because of the NFL talent that has come yes. out of state and Broward for many, many years that a lot of the kids here do get overhyped in terms of their, you know, grades, whatever it is that they get, however many stars that 247 and rivals give them because they're Miami guys. And I think what what's happened is a lot of these guys have gone on, you know, four-star guys have gone to Wisconsin or gone to Alabama or Ohio state or wherever. And they've been okay players, but they really haven't been great. I think, no. and, yeah. and I think it, you know, there's this automatic sort of assumption that every kid in Dade County is going to be awesome. When in reality, 
you know, the people who really know the game and, and some of the scouts that I talk to guys that this is all they do is break down film and like look at players and, and analyze them and help colleges recruit guys like Mark Pope. Great, great deep route runner. But nobody really thought much else of him. And they thought, you know, why is he getting five and four stars? There's other guys out there that are just as good, if not better, that he's there's better at running routes. And yet what happens is the expectation is when Mark Pope comes through the door of Miami, well, he's supposed to be the next star, right? He's supposed to be the next first rounder. So where those expectations are being set, I, I just, I don't know that they're coming from a good place. And so I can understand where Calvin's point is on, you know, the overhyping of players because I've done well, the you research. You know my feeling about this. You know my feeling about Dade County players. Right. And and look, and I, and I have a lot of pride covering it, Dade it, County, man. I cover a lot of great teams, a lot of great players here. State championships for 20 plus years for the Miami Herald. And yes, some of those guys have gone on to do absolutely amazing things. But I think of late, the, it just hasn't come out the same. And I think part of it is the coaching that they're getting at the high school level. And I think part well, of it is just well, maturity and, and maturity uh, issues. Hold on. I, 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 let me, let me say this very quick. I'm glad you brought up Miami or Alabama secretary. Um, Daniel Wright is from where? Boyd Anderson. Uh, Jordan Battle is from where? Was it St. Thomas? Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. the, okay, Joe is from Columbus. He's right. the he's the unicorn. And then the other one Certain. is from where? American Heritage. Plantation? Yeah. Yes. American so you see the theme where I'm going. And see, you know, the problem is everybody is putting this pressure, and it's not just on Manny, but anybody that's the University of Miami coach. The first thing you got, you got Luke in your office, you got the city, you know, all the city coaches in your office, you got to recruit our kids. And, you know, if you don't have the the, the uh, intestinal fortitude to take two, three steps back and evaluate it and realize that you really should be kissing Roger Harriet's ass and the American Heritage coach's ass. But by the way, okay, Leonard Taylor is a unicorn in Dade County. You know why I say that? Manny knows why I'm saying that. It's not a great record of defensive linemen that have come out of here. There are no great defensive linemen. Olivier okay. Vernon, you would say, was probably, you know, yeah, Olivier Vernon, and I, I would say in the last Chad, team, Chad, Chad Thomas Chad was supposed Thomas. to be, but what's Chad doing now? Well, you know what? Chad is a prime example. Chad was an extremely talented kid. I watched him in high school. He had, and he has the talent, but he had another love. I mean, right, music. Yeah, mm -hmm. and look, he went and got paid off of his music in college. So, you know, I know he want. I mean, I know he wanted to play in the NFL, but it wasn't. It wasn't that hungry. You know what I'm saying? When you when you eating steak, you know you're not hungry. And he was eating steak. Um, so you know, I think everybody gets caught up in this Dade County thing. And I'm not saying there's not good players in Dade County, but you know. I think, I think it's been overhyped. We we can agree it's been it, it's been overhyped. And I and I'm gonna come out with a story here at some point. I've done a ton of research here the last You're gonna get hate mail. And, and I'm gonna get hate. Isn't it the isn't it isn't it the coaching staff's job though to identify which You're players absolutely are, right. are worth it or not? You're absolutely and, and right. I think but be, whoa, 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 whoa. I think that's what it comes down to. Because yeah, if you're not the only ones missing on these players, 
Florida's missing on them too. Florida's but that's it, just, just because you're missing on a player doesn't mean it's okay that another team is. Your job is your program. If, and if you're missing on these players, then it's your job to find on guys that you're not going to miss. Well, that's the problem. This shit is so tricky. I mean, that's the job. That's their job, though, Kelvin. Yeah, but you know, if, if it was that easy, it's not that easy because um, there's a lot of pressure that goes into uh, this recruiting thing. You know, these guys, a lot of these guys, their job, a lot of these guys have. Mike Rump doesn't have a job because, well, he can't recruit. It's not that he can't coach. He's an excellent coach. He can't recruit. You know, um, you know. You, you got to get the Jimmy's and Joe's because you ain't got no X's and O's. Well, that, the, Jimmy's the, fa- the fact is, is that the elite of the elite kids in South Florida have gone elsewhere. The Tyreek Stevenson's have gone to Georgia. The, the Tyson Campbell's have gone to Georgia. The Patrick Sertans have gone to Alabama. The Bosa's have gone to the o- Ohio State. The best of the best kids, that's, that's you know, the can't miss. To me, if I, if I were doing these recruiting rankings, I would have a top 100. Nobody else would be ranked because to me, there's only a hundred kids every year that, you know, for sure are studs. And if you look at the numbers and I think Ari Wasserman who who covers recruiting for us um, did this, he he looked at the top 100 players and all the recruiting classes. And I, and I want to say 75% end up going to Ohio state, Clemson and and Alabama, which is why they're in the championship every single, why it's the same teams. There's only only been 11 programs. who have made the college football playoffs since 2014. It's the I, same teams. Um, if I'm a DB, I, like I, I can't get mad at any DB that goes to LSU or Ohio State or Alabama because of uh, the results. Um, uh, I can't get mad at an uh, offensive lineman that, uh, that goes to Alabama or Iowa or Ohio State because of the results. You know? Now, we you know us, Florida, Florida State, we put a lot of kids in the league, you know. But um, you're right, Ohio State, Clemson. And then I'm going to be honest with you, Ohio State is, uh, they're kind of getting away with murder because they're really, you know, I know the Big Ten does good in bowl games, but I throw all that out 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 the watch because the Big Ten is some shit. You know, Ohio State is the only team in the Big Ten with real athletes. And it shows because they run rush out over the conference. But then when they got to go play real athletes, other than this year, when they caught Clemson slipping, when Brent Venables, for whatever reason, because he couldn't read the read the uh, the, the signals, couldn't line his kids up, uh, normally they get their ass whooped. You know, same thing with Oklahoma. You know, but the SEC is loaded with a lot of, you know, that's where all the line are. And that's what really makes the difference in this football. That's why you see all the championships. I think it's 11 of the 15 championships the last 15 years in the SEC because the majority of the big line um, are, are, are in the SEC. Now, Oklahoma, I, I, I was talking to Manny earlier, they have four or five offensive linemen coming back, and their smallest guy is 320. I mean, they got a 349, 335, 340, you know, and they can actually move. But that's the really, to be honest with you, the SEC's biggest advantage is those offensive and defensive line. And for whatever reason, the ACC has 
basically similar alignment. But the teams, I just don't understand. It's like it's always something going on with the teams where it doesn't match up. But if you look at the, the players, the quality of players, they're the same players. But the SEC program just seem to be, I don't know, they seem to be put together better. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's like uh, – well, I think I looked this up the other day, but I don't think Clemson's had any offensive linemen drafted. Um, no, they, they recruit offensive linemen a little differently. They'll yeah. the, you know, the Jackson Carmen guy that they got from Ohio, he was an he was an anomaly for them because they usually like to get smaller, more athletic linemen. Mm-hmm. And they don't like to and they, they kind of got a similar philosophy to Iowa and Penn State and Wisconsin. They bring in a guy. Well, listen, they... I think. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Kevin. I think when when it comes to recruiting in general, and especially when it comes to offensive linemen, I think one of the main areas you got to focus on is your scheme fit. So you can't recruit big offensive linemen that can't if move. You've got if a you're mobile be, system, you know, exactly. Running zone. You got to double. You got to get to the next level and get right. So that that's one of the things, and I think part of the reason why the offensive line has been so shoddy here is because we had inconsistency in the coaching staff, especially on the offensive end, system changes. And now we're trying to cobble together an offensive line to fit that when really, you know, two of the guys might fit the system while the other three don't. And now we're trying to work that out. Um, talking about the, the whole inflation of the kids and how they're overhyped, I think one of the main things that's done that is seven-on-seven. Seven. A lot of these oh, guys that cover gosh. recruiting live and die these seven-on-seven camps and tournaments and rate kids based on what they see. That is not football. That's just flag football. Those are just kids running around yeah, in a backyard. Right and that's how Mark Pope got his five stars because he was a seven-on-seven seven superstar. You put pads on that kid, you hit him in the mouth one time, and he will short-arm and alligator-arm everything thrown at him. We've seen that. Now, you know, one you of the things Carlos, that was, You're hitting it right on the head because let me tell you something. When you watch some of those seven-on-seven seven camps and you see the one-on-one, you see a guy start on the right side of the field do about 15 moves to get off the, off, the, off the line of scrimmage, runs all the way across the field, doing moves to the other hash. It's like, that's unrealistic. And, of course, the DB. And the quarterback has seven, eight seconds to throw. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's unrealistic. But you got some guys who are straight, short, All-Americans. And, listen, it's not just Miami that gets through. All these places get through. No, listen, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, Kelvin. I, I, uh, I looked up program records, right? The Blue Bloods that Miami's a part of because they're five-time national champs. I looked up the other Blue Bloods since 2010, which is when Miami was dealing with the whole Nevin Shapiro thing, which we haven't even brought up, right? That, how that affected the program for a couple of years. But I, I looked up the records uh, between USC, Penn State, Florida, Michigan, Miami, Nebraska, Texas, and Tennessee, teams that dominated – and won championships in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, uh, they have two conference championships, those eight teams. And, you know, people talk about Miami and underachievement. You know, they're 83 and 56 since, since 2010. That's four games off of Michigan, right? And Jim Harbaugh, who just got a ridiculous contract. That's six games worse than Florida, eight games worse than Penn State and USC. Penn State and USC are the only teams that have won a conference championship over that stretch. Now, I know... This they won a conference championship win. Huh? When did they win a conference championship? Penn State got one, I think, in 2017 or uh, one of the years when where they, when, they lo- when they lost to um, uh, USC in the Rose Bowl. Right. Oh, okay. But, but man, my, my point is, A, all those programs, fan bases, I bet, guarantee you they're not happy. 
No, and and and, and, and I guess that's to my greater point is that unless you're <laughs> unless you're Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, and Clemson, you're not happy because those are the teams that that are getting the bulk of the top 100 recruits, and everybody else is getting. Don't you get it? It's all like an overhype. I, like I, all of the schools are getting overhyped kids. Manny, I completely agree. It's just a. It's the coach's job. Whether it's probably one of the hardest jobs in the country, Miami, right? Or mm-hmm. or any any big time program in a in a talented area of the country. But it's his job. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that when he's not doing his job identifying talent doesn't mean we give him a pass. That's his job. And right. and I'm not saying not, these kids are. Here. And you I'm not saying these kids are overhyped. It's just it's their job to identify which kids are overhyped and which kids are not. There there are also times down here, especially. Coaching in Miami, there would be a thousand people in the transfer portal right now. Right, and Kelvin, you could speak to this, knowing knowing Dade County football. There are there are times where you go to recruit a kid at a school, and he's the top flight kid, the five star, and you can't, you won't even sniff that guy. But there are other guys that are that are there. The coach will pressure you to say, "Hey, listen, take him, and the next time I got I got a big one, or this kid that's coming up in two years, I'm I'm going to steer him your way." And sometimes you take a kid down here in Dade County because you're getting pressured from these coaches. That's maybe a three or four star because you're hoping to get back in that school and, or else you'll get blackballed and you won't get another guy from that program again. Which, oh, is why yeah. Miami, which is why Miami went out and Manny Diaz hired Travaris Robinson to replace. So, Manny, you want, you want to follow the show script now? Now you, now you want to get to what we originally had planned? <laughs> I know, I know we're short on time, and if you have to go, we can cut it, man. No, but, no, it's all good. No, but I, but I am getting sort of control back here because we, we've had. To me, it's been a great conversation. This this topic. I don't know how you guys feel, but I, I really think it's been a really interesting conversation. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, Zoom up for the next Geico uh, uh, parents. <laughs> am I getting paid for it? Uh, we, I, I might be able to get you something. I mean, you know, I know you're wearing your Buster Brown shoes and your. Uh, uh, I, I think Kelvin could get you 15% off in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but listen, the whole Travaris Robinson hiring and why Manny Diaz has done some of these moves and why I suspect that DeMarcus Van Dyke isn't going anywhere, which, by the way, you know, that's been such a fluid story. I answered questions in my mailbag about it, and I told people a few days ago what I suspect is going to happen here with, with all the defensive coaches, that ultimately DeMarcus Van Dyke will end up on the staff probably working hand in hand with Travaris Robinson, who's going to be the secondary coach, um, you know, because of what he can bring recruiting wise. DVD is a guy who can go into living rooms and even not in living rooms and play a major role. Miami got Cameron Kitchens essentially because of DeMarcus Van Dyke and his relationship with the the kids in the city and, and, and his dad. And so, and, and Travaris Robinson is here essentially because that is to me, he's been the best recruiter, him and James Coley, have been the two best recruiters of South Florida for the SEC for the last two decades. Hartley, Hartley's pretty good too. Hartley, but but both Coley and Robinson are Miami guys. Yeah, and and they come in here and they make the kind of connections that they need to make, and they do what they need to do to get the players that they get. And and you know I, one thing I'll share here because I, I wrote this in a story and I don't know if any if, if you guys glossed over this, but you know I don't want to disparage Mike Rumphier. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I had a conversation with Miami Norland coach Daryl Heidelberg, who's been there for, you know, going on 15 years now. And, you know, he coached Duke Johnson, Eric Flowers. Um, you know, he's had really good players come through his system. 
And, you know, Carlton Davis, a guy who's now in his third year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a uh, second round pick, went to Auburn. And he was a guy that Miami was interested in because he blew up as a senior. He really he didn't really play much as a junior. And then his, by his senior year, he, he really came on. And the reason I'm bringing up this story is, you know, Miami's coaching staff, and this is before Mike Rump, before Mark Richt. I mean, this is the Al Golden time, okay? Um, that kid wanted to go to Miami. He went to several camps at Miami um, and just wasn't really getting the attention from a lot of people. Then he blows up his senior year. Well, guess what? At the end of the year, Miami coaches come by, and they're like, well, we really want you to come here. Travaris Robinson was coaching at Florida that whole season, okay? He didn't really recruit this kid either. But because he had been to Norland every single year, multiple times, stopping at Norland, Carroll City, Northwestern, all of the schools in South Florida for the Gators, when he took a job at Auburn that January, he was able to convince this kid who was going to go to Ohio State to go to Auburn instead. Mm-hmm. And Chavares Robinson only coached him for a year. The kid ends up getting drafted, second-round pick. He's his third year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs as a starter. And, you know, that's a kid that could have come to Miami had the coaches here done a better job of building relationships. Don't get me started with uh, not now. Now <laughs> I want to go to an airport and wait to see Al and kick his ass. Well, but but you're bringing up you're bringing up bad memories. But listen, that's the perfect bad. example. That's the perfect example of what you were talking about, Mike. When it comes to recruiting, identifying talent, it's not just identifying talent. It's like Carlos said. A lot of these coaches, and Daryl Heidelberg told me himself, the reason that kid ended up going to Miami is because every year Travaris Robinson would stop by the school and he knew who Travaris Robinson was. Now, ask me how many times Mike Rumpf has been to Miami Norman. Know what the answer is? Zero. Well, on the flip side, on the flip side, I'm glad you brought that up. We have to give credit for Isaiah Walker to uh, the offensive line coach. Garen yeah. Justice, who was there? <laughs> no, not Garen Justice. The guy before Garen <laughs> Justice. Well, which Barry, because which Barry and Isaiah Walker hit it off, and he listen. There's a kid in my high school. We lost. We lost Caden Baker, who's going to end up playing for Carolina. Could be a high draft pick at some point. We lost Caden because on his off week, instead of him going over to Fort Myers, he went to go see. Isaiah Walker, because he, I mean, I don't know what it is, but, you know, when Isaiah Walker came to the camps, Rich Berry took a liking to him, and he stayed on that kid. And even though the kid went to Florida, the kid still had it in him, you know, and that's sort of like what's, what's going on with Stevenson. They go somewhere else, but deep down, like, like I, think, I think the thing that, that, that gets lost here is most of these kids grow up Miami fans. But they, you know, their families tell them to make a business decision. Uh, Davin Cook is the biggest example. Uh, his grandmama was like, look, you can like Miami all you want, but you go on to Florida State. It's a business decision. And it turned out to be a pretty good, pretty good business move. <laughs> you know, right. so, it, you know, there's a lot of variables that you have to fight. And when you have inept recruiting, that makes it even more difficult. I think Manny's pretty self-aware of that, and I think you can see that by the hires he's made in his coaching staff. For one, Stephen oh, Fields. Yes. That, he's, he's hiring guys with Dade and Broward connections that have deep relationships, not, not just at the high school level, down to the Pop Warner level. you got Pop Cooney, you got DVD, you got Telly Lockett, 
You got all these guys, not for Boris Robinson, who are coming on board, who have the, the, the coach from KOC. Who is the coach from KOC that's on staff? I forget his name. Yeah, uh, what's his name? I, I, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I think he's a, he's also an analyst for him. Yeah, and yeah. then you got, so you like, got Kelly, like you said, Kelly, yeah. Right. No, I so mean, you got all those guys. That, that's going to make a difference down the road, but that takes time. Well, you know where it's making a difference at? In this 22, this 21 and 22 class. You know, actually, you know, for all the people that hated Banda, Avante Williams is here because of Evan Banda. I mean, he jumped on that kid when he was in the eighth, ninth grade and stuck with him. And then DVD helped bring it home. But, you know, they have some pretty good recruits. By the way, I got an. I got an update here from one of my fellow writers uh, here at the Athletic. No, no new names in the transfer portal as of five thirty p.m. So there you go. In what terms, names are you looking for? I mean, well, I, I mean, you know, fifty-seven, seventy-five. There's, there's guys that you're fans of that. That uh, <laughs> I think we both have come to the conclusion that seventy-five ain't going away. He got him a pretty Colombian girlfriend. I'm... <laughs> Delvin has the inside scoop on everybody's dating life. He does. I mean, hey, listen, man, they put it on Instagram. They make it easy. Hey, Mike, I, I know we're running long here. Is, are there any questions that we should get to from the mailbag? Because I did tell my readers that I would answer some on the on the uh, podcast. If you want to pick some, I, I messaged you of them before. Do you want to pick any of those that you think are worthwhile? Yeah, there, there's a few. Uh, okay. Well, I, I think the biggest one, because there are a few that we've kind of touched on, but, um, you know, because we've touched touched on uh, thoughts on uh, T-Rob as, as a recruiter, kind of what he brings that Miami hasn't had i guess in a long time in terms of uh relationships so here's a question from let's see which one do we want to do this is from nick m um why does miami start games flat um is it because of unprepared coaches not enough skilled players or is it false hopes from the fans that miami is simply not the program they once were so to answer your question mike i mean to me I'm going to let Kelvin jump in here in a second, but I think a lot of this just comes back to the fact that I look at this roster and I still don't see, you know, enough maybe super alpha male leaders that, you know, Miami used to have back in the day, Jerome Brown, Alonzo Highsmith, Michael Irvin, guys that, um, you know, wouldn't let that type of slippage happen in those games that they would get, you know, all up in their teammates face yelling and screaming and, and, you know, Kelvin lived that. Uh, yeah. Calvin, you have stories of, or examples of, of guys, and, and how well, do you sort of respond to his, well, his question? You know, this is the weird thing about when people say the leadership. It's, it's weird because we were all leaders, and the stuff that I see here, I, I've come to realize that I had an unrealistic college experience. I never lost a home game. I only lost four games in five years. Three championships. Never we the, the worst defeat I had was damn, I just thought about that. We lost 29-20 to Notre Dame, 28-20 to BYU. It was Florida State. We lost uh, I believe it was 27-14. So the worst loss I had was 13 points. You know how unrealistic that is? Everybody has a blowout loss. We did. And we never had slacker guys, you know. Even guys who were disgruntled and didn't play, they came to practice every day and they 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 you know because 
when Jimmy was there, well, you couldn't slack off because he'd just get rid of you. I mean, it's that simple. And then you couldn't be around us and be a slacker because it would be so uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, but we were all on the same page. We didn't all like each other, but we realized winning was the answer. And then, and then on top of that, it was a different era. So we were like rock stars. We won. We had we all had older women's girlfriends. We never paid for anything. I mean, I remember I was like 19 with a 30-year-old girlfriend. And, and we were all getting in clubs. I mean, I, and I wasn't even playing. That's the crazy part about it. Guys that weren't even playing. I remember A.C. Tellison was dating Hugh Green's ex-wife. And she was trying to get him to move in on the boat. And she had gotten into a uh, divorce. She was trying to get A.C. to move in on the boat. And, you know, I remember telling him, like, dog, you can't do that, man. Because he will kill you. He'll do it. He'll kill you. I mean, I mean, but now it's different. It's not just Miami. It's all these kids. But you know what else, Kelvin? I think a, a big point and a big reason why Jimmy was able to say, all right, if you're not getting your job done, you're the out. Putting the next guy in. Right. Well, at that end, because there was guys behind that starter that would push that guy and it yes. was good enough to plug in. The problem here is, which goes to Mike's earlier comment about development, you can't develop if you don't have a roster full of competition. If you know, as a guy, the guy behind you sucks, you're not going to put in the kind of effort that you need day in and day out to be elite because you don't need to. you got the job. You're relaxed. And that's what's happened with a lot of these guys with this program over the years because of what's happened with the turnover between coaching staff, the sanctions, and everything else that's gone on. And, again, that's why they plug in through the transfer portal and are now building these recruiting classes to hopefully get to one point where now you look at Amari Carter if he decides to come back, you look at a bubble bowl and say, hey, you're not getting it done, sit your ass down. Here's James Williams. Here's Avante Williams. Get out. You know what I'm saying? Oh, no, I agree. Well, I'll say this. Um, Bubba's not ever sitting down. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, he was inconsistent, but – you know, and when I say inconsistent, I mean, he took some bad angles, and I think he started pressing a little bit, not necessarily for the pros, but because he was trying to make up for some of the deficiencies I think he saw of his teammates. But, you know, we've got enough depth now, and you're right, like these freshmen, there's a couple of them I think that can play, uh, especially at wide receiver. I think Brinson is going to play, I think maybe Smith. You know, we sleep on the Jacoby George kid. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually turns out to be a stud. How much so, how much coaching, though, deserves blame here? Because one thing I've heard repeatedly, and I know Mike would bring this up, is, you know, they came out with a different game plan. We weren't expecting, you know, to see some of the things that we saw, um, you know, and, and then, you know, halftime adjustments, et cetera. Have you – I mean, to me, at times – you know, North Carolina game is sort of the perfect example. And I know we had a long argument about this on a previous podcast, but, you know, they're running it down your throats and you don't really ever make an adjustment to change things. And, you know, other games, there are examples where, you know, like I said, they, teams came out with stuff. How much, you know, do you think that plays into, you know, why um, maybe they've looked unprepared in some of these big games? Well, I'll say this. Um, the North Carolina game, I know, Nobody wants to hear this. And I've had this discussion. You know, me and you talk about Philip McCann. I had this discussion with him because he's not exactly a fan of coaching staff. Look, that was a Jimmy's and Joe's loss. Their players came out motivated. 
and they put <laughs> their foot in our ass, and our players didn't respond. I, listen, the players have told me this. They said we got hit in the mouth, and we didn't respond. And that happens. I got to be honest with you. I never had that happen to me until I got to the pros. Happened in arena league. Now, when I was with the Rams, I, the pros is so weird because the talent is so similar. It's, it's it reminds me of college. Now is that some days it's just some guys. It's fuck it. I don't want to play. You, you don't understand it. And it's like, well, I, my check's guaranteed. So the motivation is different. But in college nowadays, these kids are so bipolar. And the coaching, you know, I know the fans are on Baker, and I'm not saying he's he's a he's a guru. I, I got to be honest with you, I don't really, I'm not really a fan of too many coaches right now because I just think the coaching is so so far. Like I see things, you know, coaches don't do simple things now. I mean, like if you see a guy like. You see this every week. A guy gets hurt, right? Well, when he goes out, why aren't you going ready right to his replacement? Nobody does it. Right. Like, if if Patrick Sertain gets hurt and they bring in a freshman, okay, well, that freshman, we need to see. I saw it in the pros this week, and, and the reason why it stuck out was because the guy was from Fort Myers. Robert Jackson playing for the Browns. Man, they put that, they put that target on him. And they wore his ass out. Luckily, they were so far behind, it didn't matter. But, you know, I will say this. I don't think that our kids aren't prepared. Um, now, there are some games I think that we have been outclassed. But I'll say this. A lot of times, and, and I know this because of doing this podcast, I've had to do the research. I watched the film on the other team, you know, the form of scouting report as if I was playing the game. And I swear to God, there's at least four or five times over the last couple of years, teams have literally changed it. Uh, case in point, UAB, first game of the year, I watched that game because they got a kid that's from Fort Myers. They changed their whole defensive scheme against us. And it takes a while to um, – make the adjustments. And then to be honest with you, today's players, I know a lot of people ain't want to hear this, but they're just not as smart as we were. Literally, when I say, when I'm saying football IQ and school book wise. So you're dealing with that. Like, I, I got to be honest with you. Being a college coach, Michael Barrow said this to me. He said, because I asked him, he said, man, I, I don't think I'm going to ever coach, coach college again. He says, when, when, you're, when you're a high school coach, the parents are in charge of the players. When you're in the pros, the player is responsible for the players. But when you're in college, you're responsible for the players 24 hours a day on top of your own family and your own personal issues. And I just think coaching college, it pays well, but it's mentally and physically draining. And, you know, I, I, so I was right, Kevin. It's the alpha males. There's not enough alpha males to, to do some of the policing on their own to, to making sure oh, these no. guys. But it ain't just our, you know what? These kids are the come by yard generation. Every kid is hugging his homeboy. I like, to see, I, you know what? I like the Tennessee Titans, Baltimore Ravens rivalry. I'm not supposed to like you. I mean, 
there's nothing wrong with me not liking you. You know, I mean, when, you know. And, and Calvin, how about this? How about this? Here's a question I have. How much of that is um, when you're talking about coaches not being on the same level and the kids not being as smart and, and there's, they're, they're, they're missing opportunities, they're hiring a lot of people on staffs just to recruit because of the pressure to get talent. And oh, that, that might mean that means that they're not probably sometimes they're not as good schematically as they are as recruiters. So it's very rare when you can actually put together a staff that has guys that can recruit their ass off, but also can draw things up. And I think North Carolina was like the perfect storm in that sense, because not only can they recruit, they got some talent, but Phil Longo is a hell of an offensive coordinator. Mac Brown's a hell of a coach. And they knew exactly where the hurricanes were weak. Yeah. But you know, the sad part about it was they don't do anything special. They ran the same play on us. Like, you know, I know everybody wants to, like I had this long discussion during, during the game. And then the day after with Philip Buchanan about, we had to make a look. They made, they tried to make a couple of adjustments, but North Carolina ran the same damn play all game long and whooped our ass with it. Look, you can make all the adjustments you want. If your two technique is getting Peter rolled five yards off the line of scrimmage and your linebackers, they would run that counter play and they were, the linebackers were in the witness protection program. The hole is as big as a as big as a, 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 a tractor trailer. You know, I felt bad for Jalen Phillips because, you know, and when he first came out, he was trying to force everything inside, but the backers were getting blocked. So then he tried this what they call spill it, where or wrong on it, where he try to force it outside. But then the DBs in the backers were getting blocked. So it's like, you know, what do you do? We just got our ass whooped, and. I hate to say this, but it seems like every college team is going to have one of those games every year. And I talk to my coaches, my coaching friends. They know it's coming. They just don't know when it's coming. And that's the craziest thing about these kids. You don't know when they just decide they don't want to play. Well, I mean, at Miami, unfortunately, it's just happened quite a bit here over the last 15 years. It has happened. But you know what? You got, I, I got to be honest with you. I want, I'm glad that Manny and them, that they're starting to get kids who want to be here. Part of the thing that, part of the reason why you see that happen at a lot of these places is that the kids don't have anything invested into the program. Like, uh, you know, you hear kids all the time say they take pride in the program, but are they, do they really? I mean, I, it seems I like they take a lot more pride on social media. Exactly. <laughs> Creating these cute little ass videos saying man. I'm coming back or I'm leaving. Um, man, I, <laughs> look at your Twitter page. There's nothing but these. I mean, like, the, and, and I hate it. I, I'm going to single this kid out, but I'm sorry. Jeremiah Moon from Florida. Why are you making a damn video? Yeah. There's say a lot of them. coming back. Yeah, there's a lot of them that it's because it's the cool thing to do. They're all doing you it. Kids. Like Oregon State doing videos. It's like what the fuck? Come on. Yeah, because it's because it's it's the the self awareness culture. It's all of these kids have to make a video because that's what their buddies are doing, and they have to make themselves feel special um, instead of worrying about things that matter. Um, but if your buddy's Devonta Smith, he deserves a video, right? 
well, that's that's the part nobody wants to tell them, right? Everybody gets a participation trophy. Well, everybody gets a participation oh, video. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the deal. By the way, I'm looking at my Twitter mentions because I raised, I said, hey, is there any questions we're recording the show? Blah, blah, blah. And everything obviously is about Blake Baker. Who's going to be the coach? Why is he still employed? Um, but somebody did ask something that, that I know is a constant question from fans, and I just want to address it. This is from Paul Linden. He says, when an underclassman transfers out, does that open up a scholarship this year? Realize the rules are not as normal as offseason. Okay. Nicole Auerbeck, who, who does a phenomenal job. She was the National Sports Writer of the Year, by the yeah, way. She just got that award early this, earlier this week. Um, you know, she deals a lot with the NCAA. And so whenever there's these kind of questions, I go to her directly because she knows the chatter. What are they talking about? She talks to people in Indianapolis. And so basically – you know, for everybody who's unfamiliar, yes, there's an 85 scholarship limit, limit, but every single year there's the 25 initial scholarships, okay, which means you're only allowed to use 25 every single recruiting cycle. And so in this case with Miami, even if guys get in the transfer portal and leave, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you get an extra scholarship to use, okay? They're, the rule that the NCAA is, is voting on is whether or not to grant um, right now for, for 21. Um, the immediate transfer. In other words, nobody has to sit out. That's expected to happen. But as far as the initial 25 scholarship rule, the earliest that it could come out is 2022. In other words, it will be changed from 25 to something else because there are a lot of college coaches who are pushing for it to change because of the fact that scholarship numbers have been affected, the transfer portal, all of those kind of issues. As I mentioned earlier, well, you've got these seniors that get to come back this year. Right. And so, she thinks that it, it, it'll happen, but in 2022. So as far as this year's concerned, Miami's only got 25 scholarships to use. And essentially, if they sign Tyreek Stevenson, along with Charleston Rambo and, and DeAndre Johnson, if those are the last three scholarships, that's it. They, that, those are their last three because they, they, they used one. They only had 24 available because they had a kid that they backlogged to this class as far as the 25. So you know, guys like Mark Anthony Richards, any other transfers, I don't know how they're going to push the numbers around, but, you know, guys might have to gray shirt or sit out the year, that kind of stuff. That's that's why guys sit out in the year. Why is this guy sitting out this year? Well, here's part of the reason why. So um, that's 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 a question that I get quite a bit as far as the scholarships are concerned. So it doesn't just automatically work. If somebody leaves, doesn't mean all of a sudden there's a scholarship open. It is among the 85, but not among the 25 counters. So you always have to remember that. Um uh, Mike, we want to wrap this thing up. Are there any more important questions that you got from the mailbag or, or, or are we close? Uh, I, I think we, we pretty much covered everything. I think, I guess the one thing I think we could do to kind of wrap up is what it, I guess, tell Canes fans, what can we kind of expect in the next couple of days to week? What should be lo- we be looking at in terms of uh, coaching changes and, and players coming in and players coming out? Just to, I guess, kind of recap and, and set the table to to where we are right now in the offseason. All right. So I want to get your guys' thoughts here real quick. But what I'm going to say here is, that, you know, I was told basically that if there were going to be coaching announcements, it would be towards the middle to the end of the week, which is why I kind of pushed this podcast to, to Wednesday evening late afternoon, because I was hoping that things would, would be announced and finalized. But I think, you know, what I've heard, you know, Manny Diaz has been talking to different coaches and I know he's interviewed different defensive line coaches. And, you know, we obviously have the DeMarcus Van Dyke possibility of being a member of the staff, which I think is going to happen. Um, you know, people keep asking about Blake Baker. Are they going to get rid of him? No. I know there was, <laughs> there was a report last night by somebody who covers the Canes uh, quickly turned, you know, erased it. Yeah, you uh, 
Yeah, that he had been fired, that Blake Baker had been fired. He put that up on one of his message boards and everybody, the chatter at 1030 at night last night was, Blake Baker got fired. And it's like, no, well, he hasn't. Well, let, let, me, let me say this. Uh, I'm uh, friends with one of Gary's good friends. And my friend said that Gary made a mistake. It, was a, it, was a, it slipped. It's like he hit, he hit send by mistake. He didn't right. mean to put that up. He had that story pre-written in case it happened. And he happened to just copy the whole thing and paste it in there and hit the button by accident. I got Listen, you. I'm just going by what you, <laughs> I'm just Listen, going I've, I've, what had my, I've had my Blake Baker's been fired tweet loaded and ready to go for whenever it happens. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm just saying that's what Gary said. I mean, I'm going to take the man in his word. <laughs> I, I, I like Gary. I know he uh, he works hard and it's tough covering this man. Like people want information all the time. And what I what I try to tell them, like, and, and I'll be honest, there's been times Mike has messaged me. I was with the, I was at the park with my kids the other day. Who was it, Mike? You, you somebody had announced they were going pro and I didn't know. I think it was Brevin Jordan. Um, yeah. what, was it Brevin? I, I forget who it was. Oh, or maybe no, Nikosi you know what it was, was going it was, in the transfer portal. It was Nikosi transferring. That's what it was. Right. And here's the thing, like, just so people know in real time, and, I, and, I, and I'm flat out honest with all of this. Like, if you want to spend your whole life, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, chasing down rumors, like, you can do it, but you're probably going to die within a month. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I, the way I work is I reach out to people directly on DM or I call them if I have their phone number or I text them. People involved in these rumors, a lot of times they won't answer because, you know, they're nervous. They're, they have their own reason to not want to share any information. And then other times they will respond and they will flat out tell you things are true or false. And so, you know, chasing these rumors is not easy. And I think, you know, everybody's like, well, there's a lot of people putting stuff on Twitter and they're right three days later. Well, what I will tell you is you can be right three days before everybody else. But if you don't have to answer to anybody for being wrong, you know, it's pretty nice to live that kind of a life. And so, yeah, yeah, there's uh, very few Adam Schefters. I yes. Mean, and then let's be honest, man. Adam Schefter and uh, Rappaport and Adrian Wojnarowski, they are tools that the uh, they're outlets that the uh, NBA and NFL teams use. Mm -hmm. They are purposely getting that information. And realistically, when you or Gary or whoever breaks the story, it's because they're using you to break it. It's the same thing you see no in doubt. the White House. No doubt. You hear those, you hear those like the NBC or CBS or ABC, the White House reporters, they say, you know, sources inside the White House. They want that out there because mm -hmm. if they did want it out there, they wouldn't be talking to Caitlin Collins. Right. And I'll know? say this about Manny Diaz. Of all the coaches that I've covered, he does as good a job as any of them not letting information be working in our government because there would be no leaks. I'll tell you the day that I broke the story on the Eric King coming to Miami. I know he was pissed <laughs> because I was told he was cussing up a storm. Like, how did that get out? How did, how, you know, because really nobody really knew about that. And so um, I can tell you, it's very hard to get information out of there. I know he's interviewed a lot of different people. Okay. He's talked to a lot of different people about different positions on his staff and the way I see it, it just makes sense to me. You don't hire Travaris Robinson as your DB's coach if you're going to hire a new defensive coordinator. You always let the defensive coordinator in on those decisions. So mm -hmm. I, my thought process, and I said this in the last podcast, I think Manny calls the defense next year on game days. Blake Baker coordinates in terms of practices and game planning and all those type of things that have to be done. And, you know, he hires a new D-line coach, a new DB's coach, and potentially keeps DeMarcus Van Dyke as 
uh, an assistant to the secondary so he can recruit and do a lot of things for him. So that's what I personally think is going to happen. I know as soon as I'm done recording this podcast at 6.15, news is going to break and I'm going to be completely wrong. But for right yeah, now, that's gonna what be, I think. They're, they're going to hire they're gonna hire Tom Olivadotti as soon as we end this podcast. And wow. it's going to be the new, the new Hurricanes defensive coordinator. <laughs> Listen, if, if people want fake news on recruiting or, or staff changes and all that kind of stuff, they can definitely come to my Twitter account because I'll keep it hot and popping like fish grease. <laughs> Mike, any final thoughts as we wrap up here? No, I mean, I, I think when it comes to this time of the season, there's really not much information. It's a lot of either complaining or, or touting the roster, the coaching staff. You know, you're going to have fans upset. You're going to have fans happy. And we honestly don't know what to expect until we see Alabama in September, which I'm sure we are all thrilled about. I can't wait. We're going to beat that ass like I beat Tina. Wow. <laughs> well, gentlemen, on that note, we're going to wrap up this podcast. We've uh, gone about an hour and a half. I know we left a lot of work here for Mike to uh, take care of. Um, but, you know, a lot of I'm topics. Better to do. Yeah, a lot of topics covered. A couple, two, two parting thoughts. Congratulations to Dan Morgan for getting selected to the College Football Hall of Fame. Dan is an unbelievable person. And I'm really happy to see the success that he is having up in Buffalo as a director of player personnel. I hope they get to the Super Bowl this year. Um, he's, he's a great dude and, you know, really hard worker, was a great linebacker at Miami. Deserve that. And then also my condolences uh, to the family of, of Carlos Joseph, uh, who passed away uh, yesterday following a stroke. And, uh, you know, former Hurricane, who um, was a backup left tackle, I think, on the 01 championship team. And yeah, it was. Joseph. Yeah, so... Um, those those two parting thoughts. Uh, guys, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, we got to do this again soon. I don't know when we will, but, uh, you know, as news warrants, we will be back with the Wide Right Podcast. But for now, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for listening. Talk and to you can, soon. Before we leave, can you, uh, mm -hmm. for the next podcast, can you uh, videotape Mike at the, uh, the, uh, the Geico commercial? Uh, <laughs> you know, Mike, they're, they're trying to Mike, show him. You can't, you I will do Mike that. Mike with khaki... His khaki cargo shorts and the uh, sandals Plus with the, the white high socks. You, you know what, Kelvin? Before the next podcast, I will dress up like that and take a picture just for you. How's that sound? <laughs> <laughs> that's for that's it for the show, guys. See you next time.